Waters session. And uh, it's just a short lesson, 15, 20 minutes. And then we're going to go right back into worship. And we're going to hear a powerful message before we have a chance to respond at an altar. Um, But this is the final week of a series called Being Born Again. Born Again. How many have enjoyed that stuff? I know a lot of us already maybe think we know about being born again. But you know what? It's been great to just hear from the Bible what the Bible says about the importance of this topic. And so we're going to conclude that today. And if you have your Bible and you will turn with me to John chapter 10, we are going to start in verse 9. And John chapter 10, verse 9 says, I am the door. Real quick, look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is the door. If you don't have a neighbor, just think it to yourself. (laughs) I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So for just a few minutes today, I want to talk to you about this topic. There's only one door. Only one door. And, uh... I want to start it off by asking a deep theological question. I want you guys to think about it before you answer. Who here loves going to Walmart? One or two. That was the response I expected, actually. I actually used to like going to Walmart until I had kids. And it's, I don't know, it's not their fault. It's kind of their fault. All right. So, and you want to talk about one door. There was a time, I don't know if you all remember, during the COVID crisis, that Walmart limited entry to one door. And it's like, you don't have to like Walmart, but you're going to go in there because the water's cheap and they have all kinds of groceries and you can get a cheap shirt and a rotisserie chicken and then you can dip. So you're going to be going to Walmart at some point. And they limited it to one door, but that's not the point. It's just like a foreshadowing that Jesus only has one way in. Um, But from my house in Liberty, Missouri, there are two ways for me to get to Walmart. There's only two ways, two ways to get in, and I have, a, I have a preference. So I live on the south side of Liberty, and I enjoy taking the new Liberty Parkway. Has anybody familiar with the area ever driven on the new Liberty Parkway? Oh, dude, it is, um, there's never anybody on it. You can go the speed limit. You can cut out all that traffic of 152 and 291 and all the stuff that goes on right there. Uh, if you're heading to Walmart, you can keep going. There's a quick trip right there if you need to stop. And uh, you get to drive past that police officer that is always on that frontage road right there by uh, Pleasant Valley. I've never driven through there and not seen the police. He's a nice guy, I'm sure, but he's always right there. Uh, And then you get to Walmart. You get where you want to go. And so for the life of me, I promise, I always thought that was the fastest way to Walmart from my house. Um, So I tell you all that to say this. The other day, my family, who does not like going to Walmart, I don't either, honestly. We, we need to go. So we load up in my truck, and we are heading down to Liberty Parkway, which I refer to lovingly as my shortcut to Walmart. And we, we jump on, and we're cruising, and I start noticing audible groans from my family. Even like my six-year-old is like, Dad, why do we always have to go this way? Because it just feels like we're going, you know, far out of the way. So I, I proceed to point out all the great benefits of my shortcut to Walmart. And... Uh, they didn't agree with me. They thought my shortcut was much longer. So I had to go to Google. Do you have that image up here? There it is. So I had to go to Google to prove that I was wrong. Um, <laughs> it is actually three miles longer going my way and about five minutes longer to take my shortcut to get to Walmart. 
uh, which was kind of eye-opening to me. I share that story with you to tell you this. Um, we are all, look at this application, we are all on a spiritual journey with God. God is not Walmart, but we're all on a spiritual journey with God, and we are all at different points, and none of us have actually arrived yet. None of us have made it to heaven. None of us have walked through the gates of heaven yet. But regardless of where we are on our journey, it's really important that we're heading the correct way and we're heading to the correct destination and that when we get there, we can enter without fear knowing that we did exactly what Jesus told us to do according to the map that is the gospel and what he says. So we're going to look at this. We're going to make sure that we're on the right track according to what he says and we're not taking are sometimes much longer shortcuts to the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus' life was amazing in a lot of ways, and, and we talk about Jesus a lot here because we are very impressed by Jesus. But his, his, his life was amazing in a lot of ways, but one of the things that always jumped out to me when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is that his timing was always perfect in hindsight, but at the time was almost never understood by humanity. So like we look back and we're like, that was perfect timing. But when it was happening, he had a lot of people questioning his motives, questioning why he didn't do things in a certain way. And it's interesting because his timing was, a perf was perfect because he allowed himself to function in specific roles at specific times. I'll give you an example. Um, you'll hear a lot of times throughout the Gospels when you read it, things, Jesus saying things like, my time has not yet come. Or a writer will refer to it, his time had not yet come. You hear a lot, Jesus is like, it's not time for that yet. He'll say, my time has not yet come. And so we see that he didn't want to do miracles early on in his ministry. His mom was like, hey, maybe you could step in and help out here. And he was like, my time has not yet come. So he, he functioned as a teacher. It didn't mean that he couldn't do miracles, but he wasn't ready to step into that role yet. And so we see he just had this great sense and this great presence. And so he would function as a teacher until it was time for him to do miracles. And then he started doing miracles. Later on, you see that Jesus did not want to refer to himself as the Messiah. He did not want the attention that he knew that would bring. And so he would say, hey, my time has not yet come for that. So he functioned as a miracle-working teacher until he decided that it was time to reveal himself as the Messiah and to step into that role. Later on, even further in his ministry, we see that he, he didn't share the revelation that he was God manifest in the flesh until the very end of his ministry. He was always God manifest in the flesh, but he didn't reveal that. In fact, you see the disciples at one point just try to pin him down, and they say, hey, you keep talking about your father. Why don't, you know, why don't you show him to us? And at that time, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Like, I and my father are one. He didn't reveal that right away. He waited. And if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, it kind of explains it. What, what Jesus was doing, and he had this perfect timing where he was going to function in this role for this amount of time, but then he would step into another role for an allotted amount of time. Second Corinthians sum, sums it up like this. It says, to wit or to think that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He was not imputing their trespasses unto them, but hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Jesus was perfect in functioning in his desired role during a desired time. And this is important. It's an important concept to grasp because when you talk about being born again and you go through a long series like this and you hear about the steps, sometimes you might be like, hey, why is so much of the New Testament talking about 
God being forgiving and come as you are, but yet there seems to be strict steps to being born again, right? But we have to recognize Jesus' roles and how he stepped in and out of those roles when the time was right. And so I want you to think about this. I want you to think about um, some authority figure or a teacher or a parent or somebody that you've ever had in your life that was either impactful or just mean, either way. They could, have made, they could have impacted your life for the better or for the worse. And then I want you to think about either being a gatekeeper or a guide. Think about those two things. You have two categories. Put that person who you just thought of as either a gatekeeper or a guide. And in humanity, we can broadly, as leaders, we can broadly fall into one of these two categories. And so if we're just pigeonholing people for the fun of it, why don't we just put every leader we've ever experienced or any time we've ever led into that category as either a gatekeeper or a guide. And so let me tell you about a gatekeeper. So a gatekeeper is just that. They are individuals who have access to a place where you want to go. Maybe it's passing a class. Maybe it's graduating high school. Uh, maybe it's getting the keys to your parents' car. Um, maybe it's a promotion at work. Maybe, anything. A gatekeeper has something you want, but you have to meet a set of requirements in order for you to get it. Um, and that gatekeeper is then faced with this task and this authority to either be very strict, very hard, and say, I'm not letting you through this gate until everything is perfect, and we've probably all had teachers like that at some point, right? These are the ones that push you, say, hey, do your best, but if it's not your best, do better, because we need, <laughs> if you're coming through this gate, we need you to be functioning at this level. Uh, gatekeepers run a really tight ship and usually have a strong sense of right and wrong, and we all know those people, and they are, they are great in their way. And then you have guides. And then guides, uh, they function as somebody who's willing to just make sure you're feeling good on the journey, right? If the gatekeepers run a tight ship, the guides are like, eh, it's not a tight ship. We're going to have a good time and we're going to get there at some point, right? And so the guides are going to come down and they're going to walk with you every step of the way. And they're going to say, hey, let's get going. We know we're heading this direction. Let's all rally together. And let's go. Tight ships aren't cool. We want to enjoy the journey. So you have either these gatekeeper leaders or you have these guide leaders. And they're both good and bad in their way. But here's the thing that we have to remember is that a gatekeeper without love who isn't rooting for the person to come through the gate is a burden, right? It's just mean. It's just hurtful. Nobody wants to hear somebody spew rules at them and tell them how to live and tell them what they have to do in order to be successful, and there not to be any love there. Nobody wants that. But a guide without a destination is a disaster. You know, the Bible actually referred to religious leaders of the day as blind guides. You know, it doesn't matter if somebody makes you feel good. If they don't know where they're going, it's just, it's just going to end in a complete mess. And so the ideal setup for leadership is to have that nice combination of gatekeeper and guide, but you know, as far as like on our spiritual walk, the perfect setup is this. We want a guide who will walk with us every step of the way, but then when we get there, surprise, surprise, the guide is actually the person who's keeping the gate and letting us in or letting us out. And when we read the Gospels, you see this perfect balance. So you have Jesus who's functioning in these roles at this specific time, and he's stepping into them at the perfect time. And we see that he, he has this great balance, and he is walking with us today as our guide. And there will come a day, though, when he will be the gatekeeper. And he's going to ask us what we did with the gospel. He's going to ask us what we did with the words that he said. And so it's so important that we recognize 
that it's not just rules and regulations that Jesus is trying to tell us when he's talking about the new birth experience. He knows what it takes to get into the kingdom of heaven. He's from the kingdom of heaven. He's been through the gates. And so we want to follow him on that path. And that's always been the case. When God interacts with humanity, it's always been the case. He's had strict rules, but they're not arbitrary. They always serve a purpose for our salvation. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, all the way back to the Old Testament, this is talking about the tabernacle. And this is talking about how Moses had to keep the tabernacle a specific way so that God could convene with the people. And it says this about that time. It says, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. And in the Old Testament, this tabernacle had to be perfect. And it had to be perfect because every part served a specific role in allowing humanity to interact with God. So fast forward, Jesus is on the scene. And he's fulfilled the Old Testament law. And you're hearing things like, you have to be born again. And I'm here to bring the kingdom of heaven and make it accessible to everybody. And you see these strict requirements, and it, it all kind of comes together in this one conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a high priest. He was a leader. He was a, he was a pastor of the people at the time, and so he didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And he, he's like, you know, what are you talking about? And chapter 3 of John, verses 1 through 6, tells us these are the words of Jesus and Nicodemus. And we've talked about this, but this is a powerful passage because Jesus is literally laying down this great foundation for access into the kingdom of heaven. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except, except, it's a big word, except, a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is thinking like I would have thought in that spot. Very literal. And Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And we see Jesus, he's confirming the requirements for salvation in this conversation with the leader. He's saying, I'm the door. There's only one way into heaven. I'm telling you, you cannot enter into heaven unless you meet these requirements. That was a hard thing. It's a hard, it's, that's still sometimes a hard thing to hear because it's, it's, mm, it'd be, it'd be nice. We didn't have to take any steps, right? That's always a fun, it's always a fun process if you don't have to take any steps, but Jesus is confirming it here. And you know what, Jesus, this is John chapter three. Jesus would go on with his disciples and talk about them and teach his disciples for years and for years. And he would, he would put into them what was required to get into the kingdom of heaven. He would tell them, you're going to have to be guides. You're going to have to lead people to me. And then you're going to have to make sure that when they get to the gate, to the kingdom of heaven, they know how to get in. I've, you know, I've, I've told them, you've got to be born again of the water of the spirit. Good works won't save us. Financial giving won't save us. Being a good person won't save us. Those are all really good things. But that's not the key to salvation. That's not what Jesus laid out when he said, you must be born again. So, fast forward a little bit later. Jesus has ascended into heaven. And all that's left now are the disciples, the apostles, and the word that Jesus gave them, the teachings that Jesus gave them. And we see that Peter, the first chance he gets 
to preach. He stands up and he starts talking about Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the path to salvation. And he preached it powerfully, much better than I would have ever preached it. But he did so much that, the, that Acts chapter 2 verse 37 tells us that the people were literally pricked in their hearts. Has anybody been pricked in your heart? Have you ever had just something come from the Bible and it hits you and it's like, oh man. Yeah, that's right there. That's me. It says they were pricked in their hearts. And so they said to him and the other apostles, what do we do? What are we supposed to do with these words that you told us? And you know what? Peter had learned from Jesus. He had heard he was the door. He knew what Jesus had taught him. And he didn't just say, be a good person, do your best. Those are fine things. But he was like, there is a way, and I'm going to tell you what it is. He said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a, it's a powerful section of verses, and we, we use it, and it's so true because Peter was taught by Jesus, and the first time he gets a microphone, they didn't have microphones, but let's just go with it. The first time he gets the floor, this is exactly where he goes. The first time, he's like, I want you guys to be saved, and this is the path to it. This is the way that you can get there. And so today, it doesn't matter where you're at on your spiritual journey. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't because we're all still on it. That's why it doesn't matter. Like, none of us have made it into heaven. And if you have, I need to talk to you about it. But, you know, we're all still trying to get there. But what matters is that we make the best of where we're navigating. And we make sure that when we get there, we have the correct key to enter. Uh, But Jesus, who is the door, he's our guide on this map. One day, his time will come. His time will be fulfilled. And he will no longer function as our guide to salvation. He will serve as our gatekeeper. He will serve as the person who is admitting people into heaven. And you know what? If anybody thinks, this is a terrible analogy, but we're going with it. If anybody thinks that it's unfair for there to be requirements to go into heaven, here's what you got to do. You got to jump in your car immediately after service. You got to drive 10 miles on 435. And you got to get off on Arrowhead Drive. And you got to walk up to Arrowhead Stadium and demand entrance into the AFC championship game without a ticket. And then you need to let me know how that goes. Actually, just film it while you go. Don't wear a mask. Have a cooler of outside food and beverages. Carry your pocket knife and try to get through the gate of that that stadium. It's going to go comically poor. It really is. And yet at the same time, we're talking about eternal life. We're talking about going into the gates of heaven this morning. And I'm wrapping up, so if the praise team wants to head this way, we're back on track. We're talking about eternal life, and we're talking about entering into the kingdom of heaven. The requirements that Jesus asks of us are nothing. I'll tell you how small they are. You can accomplish every one of them today before you leave this house this morning. We're going to go back into a time of worship here in just a little bit. And then after that, Brother Dornbach is going to preach a powerful message. The altar will be opened. And it doesn't matter if you've been in this church for 90 years or you just, you know, got brought here by a friend today. It doesn't matter. We can all gain access to the kingdom of heaven in the way that Jesus instructed it today. We all can. And if you ever wonder, you're like, man, just... Being baptized, it's a whole thing. Getting baptized in Jesus' name, being filled with the Spirit. I just, mm. 
Look what, look what John chapter 12, verses 47 and 48 says about that time, about that last day. When we're, when we're faced with the gate, we walk up and we're, we're faced with access into the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus says about that day. He says, if anybody hears my words and believe not, I will not judge him. Like, I'm not going to judge you right now. I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. It's going to be one judge that judgeth him. And it's going to be the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last days. Essentially, he's saying this. If you know what I'm telling you, that's it. When you get to the this is it. The word that I have spoken, you've got to be born again. You can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Like the word that I've spoken is what's going to judge you on that day. And so here today, we're faced with a great challenge. And regardless of where we are in our walk with God, we're faced with the challenge to make sure that we hear the words of Jesus and we do our very, very best to apply them to our life. And I'm thankful because 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, I didn't give it to him, but I'm just going to read it to you, tells us about today. So we know that on the last day, Jesus is going to be our judge. But as we stand together, this is what the Bible tells us about today. It says, for, for he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know what? Right now, regardless of where we're at on this walk, this is the day of salvation. This is the day that has been set forth for us to say, you know what, God? I haven't been living great. I acknowledge that I have not been perfect, but I'm going to repent, and I am going to do my very, very best to make a 180 turn, and I'm going to do my very best to live better and to live for you going forward. And if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you know what, later on in this service, at the end of the message, get a hold of somebody. Get a hold of an usher. Get a hold of me. Get a hold of Pastor Dornbach. You can be baptized today in the name of Jesus Christ. Have all of those sins washed away. And if you're here and you've never been filled with His Spirit, man, that is not a tedious thing to take on. That is not a challenge. That is not a step that you just have to take. That is the best experience you will ever have in your life. And you can come to the altar and he can fill you with his spirit. And you can have a change like you have never experienced before. So as we get ready to head back into a worship service, why don't we just close our eyes. And let's go into just a, a brief moment of prayer. And let's focus on what God wants to accomplish in this service. God, we thank you so much. God, for that word that you shared with us. God, that you have given us a clear path to salvation. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be born again. And we thank you, Jesus, that you're going to be the one standing there at the end. And that your love is going to be the thing that carries us through. We worship you, God, and we praise you. Thank you, Jesus.